Our scripture reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. All right, thanks, Giselle. Uh, tough act to follow. Uh, well, over the, uh, over the month of August, uh, we are taking some time as a church to linger together for just a little bit on how, how it is that we do ministry as a church. You know, what, what is the thing that Lake Baldwin Church is all about? What's, what's the drum we beat? You know, what, what's the thing that, that it all comes back to? What is it that, that we, we up front that we want to be talking about the most? What, what's the reason that we want all of you to actually come back here for the most? And the answer to that question is the gospel. It's the good news of God's lavish love to people like you and me who've, who've never needed it more. It's God's compassionate heart and welcoming arms that accept us before we're acceptable. It's God surprising us with a, a forgiveness that's almost too good to be true and, and then silencing in us any reason that we have to turn him down. It's God giving his best for our worst. It's God giving us Jesus. Jesus who gave up heaven and endured hell all, all so that he could have you. Who's the friend of sinners, the comforter of sufferers, who, who comes to, to people with a past, to people with regrets, to, to people with things that they wish that they could undo, which is all of us. 
not with a second chance to prove to God how much we're really up for the task, but to prove to us how much he, Jesus, is up for the task. Jesus, who embraces us today with his hands inside, scarred by love, all so that he could make you beautiful in your brokenness. And the best part is, anybody can get in on this. All you need today is your need to now live in the goodness, favor, delight, and love of God forever. That's the gospel. And at LBC, it it is the beginning, middle, and end of everything that we do. Uh, But if you're like me, if you're like me, you forget that daily. You know, there are places every day where I underbelieve the gospel and I overbelieve my fears, my hurts, my temptations. Now, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you're starting to wonder how relevant the gospel even still is to me now. I mean, I know when I sin, you know, when I blow it in small ways, in big ways, I know I need the gospel then, but beyond that, what's the gospel really have to say to me now? Well, last week, Pastor Brian showed us how the gospel is good news to the lost. It's good news for anyone here today who wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Well, today, we're going to look at how the gospel how it's good news also for the found. It's good news, amazing news, better with everyday news for anybody here today who would call themselves a Christian. Uh, if If you remember one thing out of this whole sermon this morning, uh, this is what this entire sermon is about. And I did not think this up myself. The Christian life is a growing awareness that there is nothing more than the gospel. There's just more of it. There is nothing more than the gospel. There's just more of it. And Paul, in this passage, he's showing us just how true that is. Uh, This passage that we're looking at today, it's actually, if you were to read it in the original Greek, it is one long run-on sentence. Paul, he can can hardly catch his breath. His mind is blown at the enormity of God's grace as he catalogs for us every good thing that Jesus has won for us in the gospel. I mean, the, the whole passage is complete overload of the much moreness of the gospel, every verse in it, plunging us deeper and deeper and deeper into the bottomless goodness of Jesus for us today to show us how true it is that there is nothing more than the gospel. There is just a whole lot more of it. And so there, there's three specific ways we're going to look at here that Paul shows us the much moreness of the gospel for anyone who would call themselves a Christian. 
the much moreness of the gospel in the past, in the present, and for the future. So let's just go through each of those quickly. First, the much moreness of the gospel for the past. Paul, he, he starts, starts writing in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. If you're a Christian here, our relationship with God, Paul is saying, is the result of God choosing us, of God picking us, God deciding upon us. And now if we're being honest, would we really have it any other way? You know, one of our deepest longings is to be chosen, is to be desired, it is to bring delight and joy into the eyes of someone else, is to be wanted. Now, we can certainly go to unhealthy places with that, but that, that basic desire, that is not a bad thing, that's a good thing. That's how you were made. You know, I was in high school, I, I played volleyball, and every summer, New York State would uh, divide the state up into six different regions, and they essentially had this statewide Olympics. They called it the Empire State Games. And so you would try out for a team based off of the age bracket that you were in, and they, they had a high school boys uh, age bracket team. And, and if you made empires, it, it was, it was kind of a big deal. At least it felt like it when you were 16. And so uh, I tried out. There were maybe 50, 60 kids who showed up. And, and over a couple days, I tried out, and, and I made it. And, and when you make the Empire State Games, one of the things they give you is this full, like, forest green windbreaker suit. And when I got that thing, man, I just started wearing that everywhere I went. And uh, all my friends started making fun of me because it was the middle of the summer, mind you, when, we, when you had the tryouts. And so I am outside hanging out with them, and they're like, what are you wearing? It's 90 degrees outside. It, it's hotter than it is here in this auditorium. You look ridiculous right now. That, that wasn't stopping me. I wanted everybody to know. I made the team. I was wanted. You know, maybe it's, it's getting contacted by a headhunter. It was getting asked out on a date. We, we long to be wanted. And we know how true that is because of how much it hurts to feel unwanted. You know, maybe you had a parent who walked out on your family. Maybe you have a spouse right now who is completely shut down. Or maybe you want to get married and, and, and you, are, you are waiting, you are ready, and yet nobody has come along yet and said, you, I, I want you. Or, or maybe you were wanted, but by someone who wanted you for harmful reasons, for scarring reasons, 
Maybe you've been asking your whole life, why me? Why, why did they want me for that? Well, Paul is saying here, in the gospel, you are wanted by the God of the universe. And here's the best part. This was all a part of his plan from the very beginning. That as Paul says in in verse 5, God predestined us, chose us according to the purpose of his will. This is what sometimes gets called the plan of redemption. Essentially means this, before time began, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they chose, they planned our salvation. Meaning, if you belong to Jesus this morning, you are not a spiritual accident or afterthought from God, but a part of his divine plan from the very beginning. That longer than the ocean was filled, longer than the mountains were founded, longer than the galaxies were filled, God desired you. But why? Why does God want us? Well, verse 4 gives us a clue that we can actually kind of work backwards from. Paul says in in verse 4, God shows us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. God desired us, Paul's saying, to be holy and blameless. Not because we already were holy and blameless. In other words, holy and blameless, it's, it's the goal, not the grounds of God wanting us, desiring us, deciding on us. Which means if God choosing us ends with us holy and blameless, then it started, started with the opposite. It started with God choosing us when we were unholy, when we were blameworthy. And now in one sense, that, that's incredibly humbling because it means if you're a Christian, none of us in here were choice. We, we were simply just chosen. It means that God, he didn't, he didn't look down through the corridor of time and, and find the really good people, the people that, man, they, look at them. They just got a knack for this stuff. Those are the people that I want to get involved with. But it's also incredibly encouraging because it means if you are a Christian, this is the one place in your life where you are wanted, you are pursued, you are desired, not based off of your performance. So the pressure's off. It means God desires the you right now, this morning, in this seat, not the you 10 years from now when life's going better. It means that that God has zero regrets, no second thoughts about you, and that nothing can ever diminish his desire for you in Jesus. There's nothing more than the gospel. There, there's just a whole lot more of it. And, and Paul in this passage, he's showing us that first by showing us the much moreness of the gospel in the past, but now second, the much moreness of the gospel in the present. 
If you're a Christian today, what do you think that God thinks about you right now? And what can you do about it? Well, Paul, he, he answers that question for us in verse 5. He says, in love, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus. Now, when Paul says that we've been adopted as sons, he, he's actually talking about this legal practice that happened in his day. Uh, in ancient Rome, where Paul lived, uh, your wealth it got passed down through your son. And so if a wealthy man didn't have a son, when he died, the family wealth would be lost. And so in that situation, this wealthy man would adopt a son, uh, probably one of the servants in his house, and he would make him the heir of the family fortune. Now, if you're that guy, <laughs> you just hit the lottery. I mean, all of a sudden, it just in one day, you have this entirely new status, you have this entirely new bright future, and the best part of it is it's all legally yours. None of it can be taken away from you. Well, Paul is saying in the gospel, we, we all get adopted as God's children, but, but not, not just as his children. We get given the same status as the firstborn son. God makes us all the heir of the family fortune. In other words, the gospel is not just God the judge banging his gavel and declaring us innocent. The gospel is also God the Father wrapping his arm around us and taking us home. Dressing us in the robe and ring of his son Jesus. Loving and looking after us now as if we were his favorite kid. God, by grace, by grace immeasurable, grace alone gives us the same status as his son Jesus, and it can never be taken away from you. So what does that actually look like? Uh, well, in the Gospels, maybe you know this scene. Uh, when Jesus gets baptized... He comes up out of the water, and, and God says over him, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, think back in your mind for a second. How many miracles, healings, sermons had Jesus done at that point? Zero. Zero. And yet, God looks down at Jesus and, and he says, I am so proud of you. He, he tells Jesus, before he's even started the job, I could not be more pleased with you than I am right now. God, in effect, he, he puts the gold medal over Jesus' neck, but not at the finish line, the start line. And then Jesus goes out lives a perfect life, dies our death, rises for our new life, all so that we can have that same benediction read over us too. All so that God can say to us too, 
You are my beloved in whom I am well pleased. And just like Jesus, you get to hear that at the start line, not the finish line of your life with God. If you're a Christian this morning, what does God think about you? Well, in the gospel, God is not saying what so many of our earthly fathers said to us. He's not saying what my heart apparently so often thinks he's saying of me. Now go and make me proud. Now, if you are in Jesus, the Father is saying to you this morning, I'm already proud of you. That because of Jesus, God, who, he's got the full picture of all that we are and are not yet, looks down at you today and says, you, you are my beloved in whom I'm well pleased, and nothing can change that. In fact, not even our sin can mess this up. Because as Paul says in verse 7, in Jesus we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. In the gospel, God signs your adoption papers with the blood of his son, Jesus. He's forgiven all of your sin, past, present, and future, thought, word, and deed, what's been done and what's been left undone, the 5% of it that I've confessed, and the 95% of it that I am either unaware of or ignore. Meaning, just like Jesus, we now get to spend the rest of our life living out of already having heard God pronounce over us the most healing, transforming, hope-giving benediction that he ever could. So the Christian life, it's really just this growing awareness that there is nothing more than the gospel. There is just more of it. And Paul, in these verses, he, he's showing us just how true that is, is as he opens up the fire hose and just lets us drink from the much moreness of the gospel in the past and the present and now finally in the future. Uh, we all have this innate need to know how a good story ends. Uh, if you ever watched the HBO show, The Sopranos, you know how true this is. Uh, if you've never seen The Sopranos, it's about a family that's in the mafia in New Jersey. Tony Soprano, he's the main character. He, he's the leader of the family. Uh, and for 10 years, week after week after week, millions and millions of people were glued to their TVs watching the, this terrible story unfold before them of this family until it all finally came to an end. And in the last scene of the last episode of the last season of The Sopranos, Tony Soprano and his family are at this diner in New Jersey when Tony looks over and he notices this strange man in a booth looking at him who suddenly gets up, walks to the bathroom, 
As he does, the front door of the diner opens. Tony suddenly turns around, and the screen goes black. And the 12 million people watching lost their minds. It nearly broke the internet. Who is this man? What happened to Tony? What happened to his family? Are they alive? Are they dead? Whatever happened to them? We, we need to know how a good story ends. And that's even more true with God's story. So how does it end? Verse 9. Paul says, God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. How does God's story, how does it end? All things in heaven and on earth being united under Jesus. All the, all the different parts of this universe coming together into perfect harmony to show God's plans of grace in Jesus. If you belong to Jesus this morning, this is the future that you have to look forward to. No more divided creation, but heaven kissing earth and making every part of it beautiful. No more divided bodies, but the Spirit resurrecting us and making every part of us stunningly glorious. No more divided hearts, but Jesus finally and fully capturing every part of our affection, desire, and love. No more divided homes, divided families, divided friendships, but you and me finally being made as lovely and loving as Jesus. It's the ending we've always wanted. A future where there are no more bad surprises, where there's no more uncertainty about what's next, where there are no more moments that trigger your past, just the perfect harmony of heaven and earth coming together to show the grace and love of God in Jesus. And so how do we know? How can we know today that that will be the ending to our story. Paul says in verse 13, those who believe in Jesus are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we take possession of it. In other words, how, how, how do we know? How do we know that this will be the ending of our story too? It's the spirit of Jesus in us. He is the guarantee that by grace, Jesus' inheritance will be our inheritance too. That our story will end in the complete unity and perfect harmony of being in the breathtaking presence of Jesus forever. And so really the only other question to ask then is how does 
the much moreness of the gospel. Not just for the future, but also for the present and the past. How does it become alive in us? How does it start to change every part of us today? John Newton, who wrote the hymn, uh, Amazing Grace, he, he once wrote a letter to a friend where he said it's the difference between reading our inheritance in the gospel as a lawyer or an heir. Now, no offense to the lawyers in the room. But the, the lawyer, Newton said, it, he reads an inheritance and, man, they know that thing inside and out. They can, they can explain all the different legal technicalities of it. They know how every little part of it fits together and, and works. That They're an expert on it. But it doesn't bring them any joy. There's no sense of, of anticipation as they read it. There's no sense of, of amazement as they go through it. But an heir... They read that inheritance. They might not be able to explain every little part of it like the lawyer does. But when they start reading that thing, oh, they can barely believe what is on that page. They are, they are amazed. They're astonished. They're overwhelmed with joy. They, they say, slow, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. You're saying, this is mine, and this is mine, and this is mine, and this will be mine, and this will be mine. That changes everything. That changes every part of me. And that's the Christian life. It's learning to read the gospel more and more like an heir. Surprised, amazed, and overwhelmed that because of Jesus, all of this is ours. But because of Jesus, there is nothing more than the gospel. There's just a whole lot more of it. Let's pray. Father, we, we start where this passage started. Thank you that, that in Jesus you have blessed us, not with some, not with most, with every blessing every good thing that Jesus has won for us in the gospel. Father, teach me, teach us here how to read the gospel more and more like an heir and change every part of us through it so that we would praise Jesus more, we would enjoy him more, and we would experience more of him in every part of our life. We would experience more and more of this good news to the found. Amen.